turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Going to read verses 38 to 42. We're going to talk about retaliation. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 38 to 42. Let's see how far we get here this morning. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak. Also, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asketh thee, and for him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. These verses have been misunderstood, misconstrued, and misapplied through the years. I want to try to correct some of those misunderstandings. But it's going to be difficult because we live in America. The people among whom we live are more concerned with their rights than anything else. It really is part and parcel of the American philosophy of life that all people have certain inalienable rights. And the rights of people are set up as untouchable. We have heard and we continue to hear of civil rights, women's rights, children's rights, animal rights, prisoner rights, etc. and on and on I could go. To insist on our own rights lies deep within us, in our heart. It has actually been written into our Declaration of Independence. And this attitude has crept into the church as well. We bring it into the church through just being a citizen in this country. And we bring it into the church because of the depravity of our own hearts. The ideals that characterize sinful man, such as self-assertion, self-interest, self-protection, these are all idolized. People today will hail men who stand up for their rights, protect what is theirs, and stand up for the rights of others. God forgive us, but sometimes... We as believers seem to think that even as Christians, God owes us. We have rights to success, to wealth, to health, to wellness, to happiness. We have rights to a certain kind of food on the table. We have rights to a good name or respect. 
And we have rights that others dare not violate. And as a result, there's the bearing of grudges, being revengeful, and retaliation come as a result of us thinking that our supposed rights have been violated. We think that we certainly deserve to be treated well. And every time I watch a commercial or I hear something in a TV show about we deserve this or they deserve that, I cringe. You know what we deserve? We deserve hell. We think that that's our right in this country to be treated well. Let me read an extended quote from John MacArthur as I introduce this passage of Scripture, and lest you think that I'm taking this out of context, I get this from John MacArthur's commentary on the book of Matthew. He writes, and I quote, Inordinate concern for one's rights comes from inordinate selfishness and leads to inordinate lawlessness. When our supreme concern is getting and keeping what we think is rightfully ours, then whoever or whatever gets in our way, including law, becomes expendable. Since it is not possible for everyone to have everything he wants, to insist on our own way, invariable tramples on the rights and welfare of others. Respect for law and for the welfare of others is always among the first major casualties of self-assertion. When self is in the foreground, everything else and everyone else is pushed to the background. End quote. This passage of scripture answers the question, do we have rights as followers of Jesus Christ? The answer to that is a resounding no. We have absolutely no right to personal retaliation or vengeance, or even a vengeful spirit. Jesus is teaching that personal abuse and personal sacrifice are the lot of his followers. He's teaching against the revengeful spirit that characterized his day and is still applicable to our day as well. Because all men have a natural and sinful tendency to want to retaliate. You've heard that it was said by them of old, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And we look at that and we say, what's wrong with that? We must understand the context and the issues that Jesus is addressing among the people of his day. Or we will misinterpret this as some have, and it has led to pacifism, Christians becoming doormats, conscientious objection to military service, lawlessness, and other things. And what Jesus is going to address is the corrupt teaching in his day, which led to a spirit of vengeance and a spirit of retaliation. Jesus, in this context, is forbidding the taking of private vengeance on those who wrong us personally. 
Now what the people of that day heard was indeed in the Old Testament. Let's take a little perusal of some of those verses. Turn to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. And verse 24. Exodus 21. And verse 24. We'll start in verse 22. If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follows, he shall surely be punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judge, notice the word judge, as the judge determines. We'll get into that, but notice the word judge, underline that, very important. And if any mischief follows, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, strife for strife. Turn to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 20. We'll start in verse 17. And he who killeth any man shall surely be put to death. And he who killeth a beast shall make it good, beast for beast. If a man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he hath done, so shall it be done to him. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he hath caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him. And then turn to Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 21. Deuteronomy 19, 21. We're actually going to start, I'll go all the way back to... Um, Verse 16, if a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him, the word testify is important. We're talking about something being done in a court of law. Then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, very important, who shall be in those days, and the judges shall make diligent inquiry, and behold, if the witness be a false witness, hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall he do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear. What will they fear? Well, the punishment that's given down by the judges in the court. And shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. All those verses have something in common. It's something that was to be done through the courts by the judges. And what happens in these verses is there were some limits that were set for the extent of retaliation, and it protected individuals and families from overextensive revenge. It prevented punishment from being excessive, especially when it was based on personal vengeance or was due to angry retaliation or grudges. What is our natural response when somebody harms us? The natural response of the sinful heart in retaliation is to do more than just get even. Is that not true? John does something. He swings an axe and he cuts off one of my fingers. What do I want to do to him? I want to cut off two. I want to do more 
That's the sinful heart. These verses in the Old Testament legislation show that the punishment must exactly match the crime. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, blemish for blemish, burning for burning, foot for foot. This would curtail further crime as people would hear of the punishment and be less likely to commit the crime as we read in Deuteronomy 19.20. It guaranteed that the injured person, it guaranteed them legal justice and it protected the offender from an undue, revengeful, retaliatory penalty. Now, there's two things to remember about the Old Testament legislation. Number one, it was restrictive. It kept feuding from getting out of hand. We have, in our country, a well-known feud that went on for years. The Hatfield and the McCoys. When one thing was done to one family, what happened? They did it to the other family, plus one. You killed my brother, I'm going to kill your brother and your sister. You took 10 cows, we're going to get 25. And so it was restrictive. It kept feuding from getting out of hand. It eliminated blood feuds and tribal feuds among the 12 tribes of Israel. For instance, if someone cut off my brother's hand, I would go and knock that guy's head off. And his family would respond by killing me and my family. There is always an escalation of violence and retaliation, and it never ends. In retaliation, we often go beyond the injury that was received. I remember one time my mother did something to my dad. I don't even remember what it was. Maybe she threw a glass of water at him or something. Got him a little wet. My dad waited until my mother was talking to the neighbor across the fence in the backyard, and we had a very shallow backyard. He put a ladder up the front side of the house, took a five-gallon bucket of water up there with him, and he drenched my mom and the neighbor. Retaliation often goes beyond the original injury that was received. If the first act of violence was met with the exact same violence, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot, doesn't that end the matter? So it was restrictive. You can only go so far. Also, the second thing you remember about the Old Testament legislation is it was legal. The law was given to the nation to be carried out through the courts. Remember I pointed out those words, the priest, the judge, right? This was all to be done through the courts. It was legal. It was not, I repeat, it was not given to, be, given to individuals to be carried out on their own. Private revenge was discouraged through this law. Those verses are part of the laws given to the nation as a whole to be carried out by the judges through the courts. These were judgments and statutes. 
The Old Testament actually forbid personal vengeance or retaliation. Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Proverbs 20 and verse 22, do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Proverbs 24, 29, do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work, God says. God takes vengeance into his hands. No individual is supposed to ever retaliate using these verses as justification. So in summary, it was a just law because punishment was matched to the crime. It was a merciful law because it curtailed the human heart for seeking retaliation beyond what the offense deserved. And it was a restraining law and it protected the society in general. So what were the Pharisees teaching? The Pharisees appealed to these verses, appealed to this law, to justify personal retribution and revenge or retaliation. Retribution, revenge, or retaliation that you did not have to go to the courts to accomplish. So what they were doing, they were insisting on personal rights and vengeance based upon those rights and then vengeance based upon these verses. So what they did is they twisted the law, as Jesus, of course, pointed out later, to serve selfish purposes and to serve the sinful nature of man. And so the Jewish people in the day of Christ commonly held that this law justified personal retaliation of any private wrongs done to them. In other words, it justified revenge. <coughs> So they saw the law, or they saw these verses, as prescriptive. Prescriptive. They would ask, how far can my retaliation go without breaking the law? We have an instance similar to this with Peter. Remember Peter asked the Lord one day, how many times should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? See, the Pharisees taught, if I went up to Matt and slapped him in the face, asked him to forgive me, and Matt being the kind fellow that he is, he would forgive me. An hour later, I went up to him and slapped him in the face again, being the kind fellow that he was, or is. If I asked him to forgive me, he would forgive me. And then an hour later, I went and slapped him again. I asked him to forgive me. Matt, being the kind fellow that he is, obeying the word of God, he would forgive me. But then he would point his finger in my face. He says, you do that one more time, I've obeyed the law. I can take your head off. Peter asked the Lord, how many times should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? He took what the Pharisees taught, multiplied it by two, and added one, 
And he was thinking, if this, this, this rascal sins against me seven times in a day, on that eighth time, I can let him have it. He thought he was saved. How did Jesus respond? Seventy times seven. Can you see poor Peter sitting there with his calculator? Well, he didn't have a calculator, but that's what, 490? How many minutes in a day can someone possibly sin against me that many times in one day? It's the same idea. The Pharisees were teaching that this law justified personal retaliation and private wrongs and justified revenge. They saw it as prescriptive. How far can I go if my neighbor wrongs me? And it was being done, you got to get this, it was being done by individuals. It was dragged outside of the judicial arena into the personal realm. God's people, according to the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, were not allowed to take the law into their own hands. Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil. When you take verses, the law, which was intended to be carried out through the courts, through the judiciary, and you take it into the individual personal realm, that will do nothing but lead to bitterness, vengeance, malice, hatred, and what I call the one-up syndrome. You throw a cup of water at me, I'm going to get you with a five-gallon bucket of water. And so because of the teaching of that day, men were permitted by their religious leaders to become their own, their own judge, jury, and executioner. They turned God's law into personal license, and civil justice was moved into the realm of personal vengeance and retaliation. They saw God's law as a mandate for retaliation and personal revenge. In other words... If somebody cut your finger off, you had every right under what they were being taught to do it. And basically, you had to do it. It was a mandate. It was something you were supposed to do. This was in direct contradiction to the other passages of Scripture which I read. What are the attitudes in today's society? Well, we believe in fair play. We justify retaliation as just evening the score or giving the other person what he deserves. And what that leads to is that we are insisting on our own rights. In fact, we feel we have a right to retaliation. And folks, today... In our society, we're so crazy. Would you agree? We are so crazy. And so Jesus exhorts us, but I say unto you that you resist not evil. This is the teaching of our Savior 
in the area of revenge, harboring grudges, and retaliation. Do not resist evil, or literally, do not resist the evil one. Not talking about Satan, but evil people in general, evil person. The one who is in the wrong, or the one who is actually doing wrong, or the one who is harming you, they are doing evil, they are doing wrong. Jesus says, don't resist them. This is difficult. Right, Larry? Somebody punches me, and I want to punch him back. Because we have grown up in a society where we are taught we have rights. Don't trample those rights. Jesus is forbidding retaliation in personal relationships. We're not talking about legitimate laws being broken by people. I'll get to that in a moment. But Jesus is forbidding retaliation in personal relationships. We cannot expand this beyond the personal realm and misinterpret this to mean that we should not join the army, for instance, or stop someone from harming another person or even protecting our own life. And this is how it's been misinterpreted. We are not to resist. The word resist means to set yourself against or to oppose. Let evil or let an evil person have its course. Let an evil man have his way in what he is doing to you. We're not talking about in society. We're talking about something that is being done to us personally. Harms being done to us personally and individually. The Bible makes it clear that we are to let God be the one who does the punishing. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one renders evil for evil. Kind of sounds like it's based on this verse, doesn't it? To anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. First Peter three nine. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this. This is what Jesus is calling us to. That you may inherit a blessing. Hebrews ten thirty. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Who's supposed to handle it? God. Deuteronomy 32:35. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand. The things that come will hasten upon them. Proverbs 24, 29, do not say I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Notice that Jesus did not say, do not revenge evil or simply do not retaliate. He says, do not resist evil. Do not resist the evil person. This is more than restraining from the physical act of retaliation. What Jesus just did here? My Savior and your Savior just struck at the very root or heart of the matter. 
A person who does not resist an evil person from harming one is one who in his heart has already realized he has no rights. He doesn't think about retaliation. He doesn't resist. It's one who is already in his heart, has gone beyond the external, and has an internal attitude and disposition that does not stop another person from harming him or abusing him. That's hard. Oh, how we need God's grace to be able to obey this. Would you agree? Would you agree? It is the attitude of Job. Job said to his wife in Job chapter 2 and verse 10, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In another place, Job said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A follower of Jesus Christ does not insist on his rights. He yields them. And he yields them in order to win people to Christ, to be obedient to his Savior, and to bring glory to God. We will be abused. We will be persecuted. But the idea here is we don't fight back. Now, I took this to heart many, many years ago. And I worked at a place where we were painting structural steel for bridges and buildings. And that steel would come in on a flatbed, and there would be a crane operator, and other people, of course, hooking up chains and hooks and all that kind of stuff. But we're talking about beams that were the length of this auditorium, being placed on railroad carts to go through the building to be sandblasted and painted. And uh, I was quality control, which meant well, I, I was involved in taking care of the wheels on the carts, but I was quality control, and I had to check the quality of the metal coming in, the thickness of the paint that was going on, and uh, the finished product, so I was all over the warehouse. But I was especially in the area where the crane was operating over my head. And sometimes these guys would purposely start swinging these beams just to see if they could stop them. And there's a certain technique to that. Well, one day I went out for lunch and I saw the ones who were operating the cranes. There were two guys, one on either side, putting the metal in and then taking the painted metal out. And I was under both of these crane operators and they went to a bar and they had a liquid lunch. They were drinking alcohol on their lunch time. And so I went to my boss privately and asked him to take care of this. I told him, I, said, I don't want to work under these guys. They're handling hundreds and thousands of pounds of metal above my head. And when they come from back from lunch, they're drunk. I'm not talking about one beer. They were, you could smell the alcohol on them. And you can tell they were giddy after lunch. 
Well, my boss wasn't a Christian, and somehow these crane operators found out that I was the one who ratted on them. And one day, they met me at the time clock. Everybody had to punch in and punch out. They were waiting for me there, a group. They always want to attack you when they're in a group. It's never one-on-one. -on -one. It's always a group. And so the leader of the bunch confronted me about ratting on them. And I gave my explanation. You know, I was trying to be very careful. I didn't want to incite any violence, but... I knew the violence was going to come. And I remembered, don't resist evil. And I distinctly remember taking my hands and putting them in my pocket, pockets. And I just stood there. And I waited for what inevitably was going to come. You know, it's interesting. There are very few people who will beat up a guy who's not resisting. I had to take one punch in the stomach. Yeah, it hurt. It doubled me over. I never took my hands out of my pockets. That's resisting, not evil. Now, you know, there may have been more that would have come, and I was ready to take that. I was in the right. They were in the wrong. But I did not resist evil. Was that easy? No. Was I seen as a wimp? Yeah. Did I obey Jesus? Yeah. Now, if one of them would have pulled out a knife or a gun, I might have done something a little bit differently. But I didn't resist evil. And Jesus is going to give couple of examples of retaliation here, or I should say examples of non-retaliation. But I say unto you, you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. That's kind of what I was doing. I was putting my hands in my pocket, and I was ready to take whatever he was going to dish out. The idea here is we are not to physically retaliate. We have no right to retaliate when wronged or abused physically. Whether it's personal violence, our dignity is insulted, or insults to our persons. This would be all injuries done to our bodies or our reputations. Now, Being slapped on the right cheek. Probably with the back of the hand. You're swinging with your right hand and you slap somebody on the right cheek with the back of your hand. That act was particularly degrading to a Jew. It was considered a demeaning act. It would be an injury. It would be an insult to be slapped in this way. It would be someone who is not, somebody slapping you is not treating you with dignity or respect. It was, a, it was an attack on your honor, your reputation. It was treating somebody with disdain. It was treating you less than human. Two responses could be made. Self-defense, of course. That wouldn't be resisting. And, of course, retaliation for the injury that you incurred. 
For a Jew who felt insulted, there was also the possibility of legal action to be recompensed and vindicated for being slapped on the right side of the face, the right cheek. It would be a personal insult, a degrading thing. In that society, to be slapped on the right cheek, the best side, the more honorable side, was insulting. Folks, we have to understand as followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to be treated the same way. We're going to be insulted, treated with disdain. And Jesus is teaching us how we should react to mistreatment. We should be prepared to take another blow on the left side of the face instead of retaliating. Now, whether we take this literally or figuratively, the result is the same. We are not to do what human nature and society would lead us to do, and that is to retaliate. Now, folks, i got to admit, this is hard. We've grown up in America. Nobody has a right to hit me on my right cheek. And Jesus is saying, yeah, they do. It's going to happen. And can't you, just, can't you just see Peter standing there thinking, okay, I get slapped on the right cheek. I just clench my fist, I grip, you know, I clench my jaw, and I turn the left cheek, and I let him hit me on the left cheek, and when he's done, then I can let him have it. That's not what this is saying. We are not to have that retaliatory spirit, that vengeful spirit. In John chapter 18, in other words, I'm saying we're not supposed to take this in a literal sense. Because in John chapter 18, Jesus is before the high priest. In verse 23, verse 22, when he had thus spoken, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, saying Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Did Jesus, in this passage of scripture, turn the other cheek? I can drink it with the lid on. No, he didn't. We don't have record of it. Jesus, before the high priest, did not physically turn his cheek. And so he did not apply what he was teaching in Matthew chapter 5 to himself in an absolute literal sense. What Jesus did not do, and probably what I would have done if I was Christ, and of course I'll never be that, so don't take this wrong, and I had the power that Christ had, I know what I would have done. I would have caused that man's hand to wither on the spot. Wouldn't you? Some of you might have even done worse. But Jesus did not use his power and authority to retaliate against the one who slapped him. Jesus didn't even think about retaliating. What Jesus was doing was insisting that the law be followed and that an accused person not be abused. Remember I told you I was going to come back to this. Jesus was insisting that the law that applies to everyone equally, all the abused especially, are not mistreated in the court of law. And that's why he says, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why smitest thou me? Here was Jesus standing as an accused person in a court of law, and they slapped him contrary 
to the law. And so Jesus was insisting that the law be followed and he as an accused person not be abused. So what this means is, is that we don't give up our rights under the proper and legitimate laws of the land. We are protected by the laws of the land just like anybody else has a right to. And yeah, I'll use the right there. God institutes governments. God puts the laws in place through those governments. And the government which was instituted by God has an obligation to enforce those laws of the land equally for everyone. And so Jesus did not physically turn the other cheek. He insisted that the laws be followed. However, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 to 24 says this about Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. He didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he did not threaten. I would have. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now, as you hear this sermon, you're probably thinking, this is impossible. And if it weren't for the grace of God, it would be. It can't be done. Some of Evans even said that the, the words here are meant for the millennium. But you know what? It can be done by the grace of God. It can be done with a changed heart. It has been done and is being done by followers of Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing it, we're not obeying Christ. James Montgomery Boyce, in his expositional commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, has an illustration of this. Let me give you an illustration of someone who is doing it. The black evangelist Tom Skinner was converted to Christ while he was a leader of the largest, toughest teenage gang in New York City called the Harlem Lords. His conversion was so real that he left the gang the very next day, turning from a life of fighting and violence to preach the gospel. There was an immediate victory over crime and cruelty. Soon there was victory over hate and bigotry also. Several weeks, several weeks, after his conversion. So we're, we're not talking about years, we're talking about weeks. He was playing a football game in which, as his assignment on one play, he blocked the defensive end while his own halfback scored a, a touchdown. As he got up from the ground to head back to the huddle, the boy whom he had blocked jumped in front of him in a rage and slammed him, punched him in the stomach. As he bent over from the blow, he was hacked across the back. When Skinner fell to the ground, the boy kicked him, shouting, You dirty black nigger, I'll teach you a thing or two. This was a racist hate crime. Skinner said that under normal circumstances, the old Tom Skinner would have jumped up from the ground and pulverized the little white boy. But instead, he got up from the ground found himself looking the boy in the face and saying, you know, because of Jesus Christ, I love you anyway. Later, Skinner said that he even surprised himself 
but he knew that what the Bible had promised was true. He was a new creature in Christ. It was no longer necessary for him to operate on the old level of tit-for-tat, hate-for-hate, or retaliation. Moreover, when the game was over and the opposing end had some time to think about it, he came to Skinner and he said, Tom, you've done more to knock prejudice out of me by telling me that you love me to love me than you would have if you socked me in the jaw. Do not say, James Montgomery Boy says, do not say that the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be followed if you are a Christian. They can be. If Christ lives in you, what is more, they must be followed. If you are serious about them, why not begin by yielding to Christ's words about retaliation? Father, thank you for your word. and Thank you for all that you do for us day by day. And I pray that you would help us to live out these words in our lives with the people we meet on a personal level, that we would not resist and not retaliate. I pray in Jesus' name.